Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about Monster of the Week. Today we're talking to Austin Lawhorn. How's it going, Austin? Going well, thank you. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Excited to be talking about Monster of the Week. I've got the I I bought the book on Drive Through RPG a while ago and I got it printed out and I'm just waiting for an opportunity to play it. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a real fun system uh, that we've all enjoyed playing, and so I'm excited to kind of share my experience because i think it's a i think it's a pretty accessible game especially if you haven't played many tabletops before all right but before we get into that austin uh please tell us where folks might know you from and also how you got into tabletop uh so if you were at the most recent podcon uh my my friend podcasting network co-host and partner uh, aubrey and i were there and we enjoyed speaking with uh you jesse and everyone on on the show and the network. Uh, currently, I am the keeper for a podcast called Charlie and the Monster Factory, which, of course, uses the Monster of the Week system. Uh, but Aubrey and I also do a show called uh, Boss Fight with Austin and Aubrey, which is our other podcast that we do on our sort of network. So those are my two current creative outlets. Okay. So let's dive into it. Um, I think a bunch of people probably already are somewhat familiar with monster of the week from the adventure zone and mm -hmm. also possibly your podcast. So I think a good place to start is just tell people about monster of the week, you know, just how basic, like the basics of how it works. So the thing I really like about monster of the week, it is a lot of focus on the collaborative storytelling aspect. So basically like any other tabletop system, there's a keeper who creates the story and outlines what's happening in the world and voices all the characters and brings that world to life. And then the players take on one specific character, in this case, a monster hunter with a particular set of skills. So each monster hunter runs a different, uh, what's called a playbook that includes different things that they can do, um, moves that they can make. Uh, and the, actually the system is pretty... Uh, specific in that it says that you shouldn't have anybody play the same playbook. So everyone should feel different and special. So there's a lot of that collaboration that goes on just inherently with the system. And the big thing that I like about Monster of the Week is that compared to your standard like D&D &D system, it's less of well, we'll go fight this guy and we'll fight this other guy over here and we'll fight this other guy over here and we'll level up and we'll get stronger that way. There's really just one main foe at a time in Monster of the Week and it becomes a lot more about 
how do we find this thing's weaknesses? How do we investigate all the mysteries that are surrounding this and leading up to the one big climax of of the chapter of the arc of, of, of whatever you're playing? So it's designed to be able to be played as a one shot, but you can keep kind of moving forward with the same characters if that's what you want to do. So let's talk a little bit more about the the playbooks, because these are, I think the closest thing in D&D is, is probably the classes. Right. Um, but they are, because Monster of the Week is based on Powered by the Apocalypse, and it's a much more narrative game. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas in D&D, the classes are usually just here's a whole bunch of options on, you know, spells you can choose if you're a magic user or different ways to fight and all this kind of stuff. How do the playbooks, um, how do they work uh, compared to classes in D&D? So there's, because, because the story is driven a lot more on narrative, a lot more of the of the moves that you can make as part of your playbook aim to drive the narrative forward. So for example, the first one listed here uh, is the chosen. So it gives a little background. Uh, So if you pick the chosen, uh, it says your birth was prophesied, you are the chosen one. And with your abilities, you can save the world. If you fail, all will be destroyed. It all rests on you. So the moves that you can make are, um, you get some inherently just by picking it. So Destiny's plaything is one where at the beginning of each mystery, you roll plus weird, which is one of the five stats. Uh, and based on how you roll, the keeper gives you some information about what's coming. So you kind of have this, this, this prophetic vision that kind of sets off the mystery. Uh, and then everything else you can kind of pick and choose according to what you think your character might be like in terms of storytelling. So maybe they're really tough. Um, and really strong so they either take less damage when they're damaged or they do more damage when they do damage you know so that's that's more mechanical but then you can stuff like you can do stuff like the big entrance which is because you're chosen and because you have this special aura about you whenever you make a showy interest entrance into a dangerous situation you get a bonus so it's like you can kind of it's it's more about playing up the personality of your of your character and less about well I, I need to pick this stats and these skills because if i min max then i'll be able to do the most damage possible in one turn you know because there's not a there's not a traditional turn-based system yeah i th- uh i just recently played the worldwide wrestling game which is also a powered by the apocalypse game and i think my favorite thing that came out of that game was one of the players uh chose to play as uh I can't remember what the name of the playbook was, but basically they're like, they're meant to be a an e- kind of an egotistical up and coming wrestler who thinks that they're the best in the world. But right. one of their moves was called the special snowflake, where literally the move is you can go and complain to somebody in authority and you make a roll. And if it goes well, they'll take your side on whatever's going on. Uh, so, my, so my, so what I've, seen so far of like the playbooks and the moves is that some of them can be just like a literal stat bonus like in the worldwide wrestling one there was one some of the moves are literally just okay you get plus one to this stat but a lot of them like you said are more about 
kind of putting together the your character it's it's less about the stats and more about i think in D D, like they kind of help define in D D what would be like the bonds and the flaws and stuff like that right and one of, one of the things that i really like is that once the players kind of establish their personality it gives you a lot of narrative fuel to use um, as the keeper in telling the story and and crafting consequences i guess for example so in Charlie and the Monster Factory, there's a character, uh, Alex, who is the divine playbook, who, and, and I love Josh's interpretation of this character. It's one of my favorite parts about playing. Uh, they play this aloof angel who is on Earth specifically to be Charlie's angel and protect him. <laughs> but but he's because he's not from Earth, he's simultaneously trying to figure out all of the normal human things to do in situations and does a bad job of it. But he's always there for Charlie. And so when he's interacting with other people, there's this inherent awkwardness and social kind of dissonance that I can usually play into because other characters in the world can look at Alex and say, something's not quite right. At the same time, uh, one of my favorite moves that that Alex frequently makes use of is called Angel Wings, which allows you to go instantly to anywhere you visited before or to a person you know well. In this case, uh, Alex uses their Angel Wings a lot in regard to Charlie. Now, the thing is, when you carry one or two people with you, you can roll plus weird. And on a 10 plus, and when you're rolling, you know, 2d6 and adding your modifier, if you have a good modifier, you can get there, you know, a pretty decent amount of the time. But if something goes wrong, either you're all separated or you appear in the wrong place. And so what I can do as the keeper, since it's Alex's mission to protect Charlie, if he's carrying someone else, they're going to they're gonna prioritize Charlie and that other person's going to be God knows where. Or maybe they really flub it and Charlie doesn't get to go where they need to go and and then that that creates a lot of conflict and inherent sort of disaster that the players then have to deal with specifically because these are character traits that Alex or Josh has set for Alex in playing that character. I guess one thing I'm curious about and this is, we can start moving into a little bit more about how it's played when you when when this character uses angel wings to go somewhere and they flub how do you prevent them from just trying to roll, like just trying to do it again immediately to go back and, and like say the consequence was they teleported and now this angel and a second character, like they end up in the wrong place. He like, he met, he messed up. He didn't get to take Charlie with him. And now he's they're They've teleported directly into like a monster layer or somewhere bad. What prevents this character from just you trying to use angel wings again to get them out of there. So a lot of it, and I, I think that was a great question. And and one of the things that we had to talk about as we were going into this project and, and wanting to play together, it comes from the inherent trust of the group of people that we're playing with. So we actually sat down for a sort of session zero before we started playing and said, we're very interested in the system there's a particular story that we want to tell and we want everyone to have agency in it. That being said, as far as the mechanics go, we don't want to abuse them because we're all interested more so in making a compelling story and having a fun experience together rather than the players 
abusing all the mechanics that they can to get the best outcome. So we, we kind of have established both in that initial conversation and in the pattern of events that has unfolded since we've started telling the story. And to keep with this example, if Alex messes up, they've got to come up with another, another solution because clearly that angel wings move didn't work. So something else has to happen. And, and that was a lot of inherent, just we want to tell a story and it's not very interesting when you just keep retrying and retrying until you get it right. Because then what are the consequences? Right. Cause that was one of the things I ran into with the worldwide wrestling is that that has a mechanic where wrestlers build up momentum and they can spend the momentum to like get a better result in a die roll, but they can also use momentum to take control from the other wrestler during a match. And while we were playing, I saw that that's something that could be abused for somebody if they've built up enough momentum to just keep taking control back and not letting the other player do their thing. So, yeah, I think because because the story that we're telling is more collaborative there's less of that situation where the players are like no it's my turn to do what i need because i want to do it and it's it's instead more of a like you know we're all we're all in this together we want it to be fun but we don't want it to be without struggles because from a from a podcasting perspective obviously that's not a very compelling story but even from a gaming perspective you know where's where's the real challenge in that there have to be consequences for those actions and we've had some of our best moments that have come out of just something goes horribly wrong and the players have to figure out a creative way to get out of that situation yeah i think that's definitely something that uh if you're doing a, a longer term campaign something that with monster of the week, there's this angel wings with the worldwide wrestling. There's the momentum. There's probably, I feel potentially something like this in almost any game of that's powered by the apocalypse, but you I feel like it's your job as the GM to identify these things and go over with the players. Like, Hey, this is something that you could very potentially just abuse to make the game more fun for yourself at the cost of making it less fun for everybody else. So let's just, you know, handshake agreement we're all playing this game to have fun. Let's just not abuse these mechanics. Right. And I think, I think that attitude should be standard across basically all tabletop systems. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's any reason that that should be exclusive to power, be exclusive to powered by the apocalypse because, you know, I, I hear so many horror stories about like DMS who punish their players for, for seemingly minor mistakes or players who abuse the mechanics that they can and essentially try to take control of the situation for themselves, you know, and, and we all knew going into this, that that's not the kind of game that we wanted to play because we had all, we had all played D and D before we had all been a part of, of games where it was way more fun when we were allowed to cooperate, but also have to deal with the consequences of our actions. You know, it's way more interesting to go into say you're you're pulling a big heist and if something goes wrong instead of saying well i'm going to use my angel wings and we're all going to get out uh, and i'm just going to keep flying back and forth until everyone escapes uh you know it's it's way more interesting to say well i couldn't get everyone out so someone's stranded so we're going to have to find an alternate plan of attack to get them out it's it's just it's way more fun it's way more narratively interesting uh and and i'm glad that everyone that we've 
kind of recruited to be a part of this storytelling has adopted that that behavior and that attitude. I'm curious when it comes to angel wings, because basically this sounds like Castiel from Supernatural, like an angel who's been sent down and is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of out of their element. So things are weird and awkward for anybody except the the main characters. Because something that happened in the show was Castiel lost his wings. And I'm curious, is that something that, like, working with the player, I don't think this is something that you would ever just drop on them and be like, yeah, some of your angel powers have stopped working. Like, do you think that that's something that would be interesting to explore? Like, having uh, having it as a potential downside for, like, if you use angel wings in front of a bunch of normal folks and they they see you do this miraculous thing, then there's a bit of a punishment from God that, yeah, your powers aren't going to work so well anymore until you've kind of redeemed yourself and upheld the masquerade a little bit better. Absolutely. Yeah. So there, so in keeping with talking about the divine, there's, there's another move that they can take uh, called boss from beyond, which is another move that happens at the beginning of each mystery. So at the beginning of each mystery, they roll plus weird, on a 10 plus, your superiors ask you to do something simple. On a 7 to 9, they ask you to do something complicated or difficult. But in either case, you get to ask them one of the questions from the investigative mystery move, uh, which which gives them kind of some information to go off of. But uh, on a miss, which is below a 7, they're required to do something terrible. And then on top of that, if they do not accomplish what they've been ordered to do, they can't use that move again until they've made up for the failure. So whether it's in Charlie's or in, in Alex's case, having to protect Charlie, if he fails to do that, then there's consequences. So maybe, maybe it is a conversation that we have where they, they lose their angelic abilities because they haven't upheld their duties. Or maybe now Alex is publicly outed as this, extraterrestrial celestial being and that has a lot of ramifications for the whole group of monster hunters you know so there's there's a lot of inherent things that go into building the character as far as their mission as far as you know who are the other players in the world what what is their goal and and how what and what is the status of monsters you know we're playing in an environment where that's just present day tacoma washington where the presence of monsters is not acknowledged is not is not publicized for all intents and purposes everyone living in the world that is none the wiser just doesn't think monsters are real you know it's just stories it's just it's just make believe and so having to kind of conceal that identity adds another layer which is something that we've we've tried to build into the world this is something that I think is uh, really interesting about Monster of the Week. And I mean, I, I don't have much experience with the other Powered by the Apocalypse games, but where it's uh, baked into the mechanics and the player's abilities is role play heavy stuff, uh, store narrative focused stuff. It's not all combat. It's um, so a reason I'm really interested to eventually try the system. But um, how how does a fight end up kind of shaking out mechanically when you get to that point where they, they have to deal with a monster? How, how does that work? So to kind of take you behind the keeper screen, uh, basically in monster of the week, the players 
drive the story through their actions, through their agency. And everything that I do is basically just a consequence. So on, and and if you're talking about um, a fight specifically, so at the beginning of each mystery or arc, the keeper has a sheet that is kind of a worksheet that they can use to prepare the what's what's happening in the world at present you know what's going to happen if the if the hunters don't stop it who are the big players who are the monsters that are it that are present and and what are they capable of so i i prepare that all ahead of time so i know the end monster i know what they're fighting i know what the strengths are i know what the weaknesses are i know what they're capable of and then as the players interact with the world everything that i can do just comes from that as a consequence so if we're talking about a fight, um, the base, one of the basic moves that all hunters can do is called kick some ass. So when you get into a fight and you try to kick some ass, you roll plus tough. On a seven plus, you and whatever you're fighting inflict harm on each other. So that's the basically back and forth system. So if, you know, uh, Agent Hawk, who's played by Aubrey, goes in and he's like, I want to I want to take a shot at this monster and he rolls and he gets a mixed success, which is that seven to nine range. He's going to do his damage that has been established based on the gear that he has and the moves that he can do. But the monster is going to get in a shot as well. And the way to mitigate that is if they roll on a 10 plus, they get to choose an extra effect at that point. Now, so the monster is still able to do damage, but then because of that increased success, the player is then able to choose an extra effect to kind of give them a slight advantage. So they can pay that advantage forward and and get plus one on their on their roll going forward or give a plus one to a, a hunter who wants to act next. They can increase the amount of harm that they do. They can mitigate the harm that they are done, or they can create an advantage by forcing that monster where they want them to go. So there's a lot of you know, push and pull to say like, I can get in there and I can kick some ass, but I know I'm going to take some damage. And if they do really well, then they can get an extra advantage. But if they do really poorly, that gives me a lot of fuel to say, well, you didn't quite get what you wanted and you're now in a worse outcome. One of the things I'm curious about, because this is starting to sound a little bit like the, the fate system where you have characters, excuse me, where you have characters that uh, they fight using the their special like the moves that have been uh, part like for example in in Dresden Files it's less about like moves and stuff with playbooks but you can have somebody who's good at casting spells or good with a gun or something like that and one of the things I'm curious about because this is something that Fate does pretty well is that you can have characters that really aren't good at fighting, but they can create advantages that other players can take that they can use to get like a plus two on a roll or to, to re-roll or to make it harder for whatever they're fighting to do damage to the players. Is there something like that in monster of the week where you can have a character that's really not great at fighting, but can still help when it comes to fighting? Oh yeah, absolutely. So some of the other basic moves are things like act under pressure uh, help out, investigate a mystery, manipulate someone, protect someone, read a bad situation, or use magic. And so, you know, if if you have a character who is that, um, for example, Hawk uh, is the professional playbook. So he is actually a professional contracted 
monster hunter. And that's what he does as his profession. So obviously he is more inclined to get in there to kick some ass, but he can also, if the monster is attacking someone else, choose to protect someone, you know, to, so it's not just necessarily a matter of, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to beat up that monster. It's someone else is in danger and I have to, I have to act. Uh, or if we're talking about uh, Hana, who plays Debbie, who is uh, Charlie's mom and uses the mundane playbook, which is basically just a normal person who's just kind of in the middle of it for no fault of their own. Uh, she actually has a move uh, called Let's Get Out of Here, uh, which is if you can protect someone by telling them what to do, uh, you can roll plus charm. And because she's a more charming character, that's more likely to succeed. She also has a move called Panic Button, which is when you need to escape, you name the route that you're going to try and roll plus sharp. And so then based on the success of that roll, you can get away. So it's each character is definitely good at something or a specific set of skills that are you know chosen by the players in regards to the moves that they have available to them. And I would say that, you know, two like two of our characters both Charlie and Debbie are not really the hands-on kind of direct fighters. Debbie is more about dealing with everyday people because that's what, that's what she is. She's just a normal suburban mom. Uh, and Charlie who has this spooky side is more about, well, how can I use this, this sort of link to the monster that I have to my advantage? Whereas uh, Hawk and Alex are the more direct, like, protector fighter role and they can kind of do some of the more traditional i'm going to get in there with my big gun i'm going to get in there with my flaming sword uh so there's it, it makes it very narratively interesting because each of the characters can approach the situation in a very different way as opposed to where you have D D, where it's well i can fight by getting in the thick of it and doing melee or i can fight by casting spells or i can fight by shooting arrows, whereas everyone is like not inclined to fight in Monster of the Week. And in fact, it's way better for some playbooks and characters to avoid conflict and observe and analyze from afar. I kind of I kind of like how uh, one of the examples I've seen is that, you know, in D&D, like if you compare it to a TV show, in D&D, everybody is Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel. Like everybody is that powerful character. Whereas in a game like Monster of the Week, you have characters who are like Xander or Cordelia who they don't fight. They're there to like cheer the team on or help out by, you know, smashing a minor mook over the head with a book every now and then. They're not there to fight. They're there to help. Exactly. And and in the character creation, in the in the handbook... It says, you know, if you want to play this playbook, it's most similar to X character from Y series or A character from B series. And so there's a lot, it's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do because you can, because you can look at that, that already established fiction and say, oh, I know I really like, I really like the character of Buffy and I, and I definitely want to take on the hands-on like vampire slaying badass. And there's a playbook for that. But you can also say, in Hana's case, like, I'm just a normal mom and my kid has a weird blink with monsters and I don't know what's going on, but here I am, <laughs> you know, and it creates a lot of, there's a lot of humor and, and fun situations that come out of that because of the huge dichotomy that there is between 
those characters and what they what they are and what they're trying to accomplish. So one thing that I've uh, I've kind of noticed from what we're talking about and listening to the Adventure Zone and stuff like that is that Monster of the Week is a very episodic structure. Um, so with that in mind, how do you go about planning a kind of an overarching campaign? This so this has been one of the biggest. I guess struggles for me as a keeper is how, how do we keep this going and what is the link between monster number one and, you know, monster number 10, you know, assuming we get that far down the line. And this has been an ongoing conversation that has involved everyone because, you know, we, we've sat down outside of recording and kind of examined what we've done so far and say, you know, based on what what's happening and what my character might be experiencing, I think this might be a good point to get to. And obviously, like if you're if you're listening to Charlie and the Monster Factory, I don't want to give too much away because you know we'll we'll get there eventually, and 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 characters will have arcs and and changes that they go through. Um, but it's it's been a, it's been an ongoing conversation, and I'm and I'm I'm constantly getting messages like and texts from. Uh, from everyone who's playing because because we're all friends that's why we started doing this where they're like hey i just thought of this really great idea what if this happened and that's like and i'm like yes yes and let's go with it let's absolutely move this direction uh and so you know painting that overarching story has been less about like what does each of the monsters have in common and what do the players want to accomplish and what what are their characters looking to do long term you know so as of now you just kind of have this tentative relationship between all of the hunters where hawk is a professional monster hunter who keeps tabs on charlie because they know he has this this weird spooky side uh and his mom is concerned about him and he's got this angel watching over him and you know that that's that's well and good but then moving forward you know what if what if something goes wrong what if what if Alex loses their angelicness? What if, you know, Debbie is forced to confront the reality that monsters are real and she's no longer this average everyday person, but she has to take action to do something about it? Or or what if, you know, God forbid, you know, Charlie were to succumb to his spooky side and become a monster? You know, there's there's a lot of different directions that we can go. And it's it's really been about players wanting to accomplish stuff rather than me throwing a monster and then another monster and saying, Oh, this monster is related to that monster because whatever. I think it's, it's one of the things that's been a little tough for me because I've run uh, atomic robo. I've run the worldwide wrestling and I, I want to run uh, a monster of the week thing. And I've only run one shots for all of these, but what I found interesting is that like in atomic robo, they talk about it like, issues of a comic book series uh, or volumes in worldwide wrestling. It's episodes of a wrestling TV show. And I've been thinking about it. And I think one of the reasons why I've been finding it hard to figure out how I would do make a campaign in any of these settings is that, you know, I'm a big fantasy and sci-fi nerd so i've done i've read a lot of books so when it comes to running something using star wars or DD, i have a better understanding of how a story like that works where it's just one long narrative that has a uh a, you know a middle a 
you know, a mid, uh, sorry, a, st- a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, a climax, rising action, all of that stuff. But when it comes to stuff like Monster of the Week and Dresden Files and, you know, all of these other games that are much more episodic, that's not like I've watched TV shows, but I'm not really that familiar with how those stories are written and put together. So it's a bit harder for me to understand how you build these things, how you create a link, a bunch of mostly unconnected episodes together to tell a story. And the closest thing that I found was when I was thinking about the the wrestling game that, you know, you have a campaign that's a season of 10 to 12 episodes where you're working towards a big pay-per-view event. And that it fits in with the theme of the game, which is your wrestlers on a TV show. Um, But what are some other ways that you can build a campaign with something like monster of the week where, yeah, it's, it's really episodic and you have kind of that whole story of, you know, beginning, middle rising action climax, and then the end in a single session and how do you, what are some other ways you can link those together? So I would say that, and you bring up a great point, the system is inherently episodic. It is designed for a group of monster hunters to come together, track down a monster, neutralize it, and then and then that that's it. And so, which I think makes it a very accessible system to start, because it's very easy to get into. You just create a monster everyone picks their playbooks and, and you go, you know, it, there's a line in the, the keeper's handbook that specifically says you shouldn't prepare too much because it's a lot of yes. And it's a lot of this kind of spontaneous coming together. The challenge that we have kind of put ourselves in uh, you as a, an inherent storyteller and campaign driven person and, and us on Charlie and the monster factory inherently having picked a long form media outlet is that we now have to take those episodes and then build upon them. So it would I, if you look at shows like The Adventure Zone, which is how we decided we wanted to also kind of try out Monster of the Week, they they did they did the they did that one kind of adventure when they were doing their experimental arcs and then decided that that's what they wanted to do and then built from there. So I think basically what I would say as if anyone wants to get into the system and I think it's great and very accessible and easy to do, you just start, you know, and then see what happens and go from there. You know, when we started, I literally had a few bits and pieces about the world. There was a professional government, uh, monster hunting organization. There was this main sort of character who was, who was entrenched in all the stuff that's happening. And by process of them going through that first mystery, there was character growth. Everyone had ideas about how they wanted to progress. And now I've got three or four monsters lined up that start to tell this overall story based on what everyone that's been involved in the project kind of wants to do. And so none of that was in place when we started, none of that, we didn't go into this knowing we were going to record a podcast. We didn't go into this knowing that this was going to be a long, a sort of, sort of drawn out campaign. We just started and said, Hey, there's, there's something here. And, and we all built upon it together. And I think that has been 
why we've had so much fun with the system and creating the podcast because we didn't have any expectations. And now it's all just these ideas that were just like, yes, this is great. This is awesome. We definitely want to try this. And, 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 you know, here we are several, several episodes later and, and we have no plans of stopping now. I think it's one of the things when it comes to more narrative games, like monster of the week, other powered by the apocalypse stuff, stuff that uses fate is that, as the the GM, the keeper, whatever the term is that the game uses, um, if you're going to run a campaign, it feels like you have to hand a lot more control over to the players because because it's so narrative, the characters have to have a nar- a stake in what happens. So exactly. when it comes to like trying to plan a campaign, like one of the things that I noticed when I was reading over the the Dresden Files rules is that you don't pre-plan a world or the bad guy or anything like that. Like your first session, your session zero, after, uh, before you've even created characters, all the players and the, the GM work together to create the city that you're going to play in, uh, what monsters and what factions are there, what aspects the city has. So it's not a, you know, GM goes off and builds a world and comes and presents it to the players you all work together to create it. And I think that's something that I've definitely had a little bit of trouble with coming from D and D and star Wars where, you know, you're kind of encouraged to hide a bunch of stuff behind your screen compared to like fate where you don't have a screen, like pretty much all the information the players know. Yeah. And I think, you know, we wouldn't be where we are if we weren't all good friends and we weren't all inclined to kind of do it this way because like I said, we went into this not knowing we were going to do a podcast. We just all knew that we enjoyed playing together and wanted to, to have a fun experience. We were all more, more inclined to get into character and do that role play when we were playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so it just naturally felt like a good fit to, to, to take on the characters, do the voices, you know, explore the bits, you know, really, really flesh out the world. And if you listen to our, our first episode, our session zero, you know, I, I said the story takes place in, in present day Tacoma. There is a professional monster hunting organization. The existence of monsters is not publicly acknowledged. Go. And then the players started populating all that with with what they wanted. So uh, Aubrey said, my character is a professional monster hunter who works for this organization. And, and he was actually a lot of the impetus behind, well, what are the, what are the, what are the organization's motives? Because in his character creation, he established as part of his playbook, who the agency was, what their goals were and what their, what their kind of tags were, you know, what, what's good about them, what's bad about them. That was all, that was all part of character creation. And that was not something that I had a hand in. And then once it was in the world, I said, great, let's go with it. You know, we we haven't established exactly what the celestial plane in this world looks like. We just know that that's where Alex is from. And 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 they've been sent on a mission to protect Charlie, you know, and I said, great, that's in there and we're going to roll with it. You know, and, and I think because a lot of that comes from the inherent character creation process and the players having that agency, you know, I, I really didn't have much to prepare. I, I had this essentially blank canvas 
and flat out told my players, if there is something that you want to have happen, tell me and it, and it'll, and it'll happen. So Charlie works at a coffee shop that is now canon in the universe because, because Alex used that coffee shop as the, as their human cover, you know, like that, that is something that the players just decided it. And I said, that's awesome. And that's what it is, you know? So when it comes to like, when you, when you're working on a campaign, when you're trying to figure out, okay, we've, we've just done, we've just had a session and I'm trying to plan the next one. What are some ways that you use to link two episodes together? Like what do you do so that, you know, this previous episode with, with this monster uh, that is mostly entirely unconnected to this monster, but you still want to have that like TV show, like uh, long running arc that connects all these things together. What are some tips or tricks or techniques that you use to, uh, to accomplish that? So when we record, we record for a few hours at a time. And then in post is when we start splitting that up and finding good episode chunks. So because our sessions are split across a few episodes, I feel like it inherently creates a sort of link from one episode to the other. Right. And then in post is when we do a lot of, um, you know, Aubrey does a great job putting all the music underneath that really brings the situation to life. Or if we say something in the recording and we're like, that's great, let's get a fresh take of that. I can then do a clean voiceover to kind of build the atmosphere without actually changing any of what's happening. So all the stuff that we do and the story that we're creating, that that's that's part of the game. That is that is all in there. It just allows us to kind of freshen it up for an audio medium. So we just kind of go till we're finished and then we say, that's great. Now, how do we split this up? You know, and then we're we're able to create that cliffhanger between episodes. We're able to have this overarching story from one episode to the next because we we just kind of we kind of play until we're done you know and that's that's how we've always been you know we say we're going to start at this time and whenever it's finished it's finished you know and so i think that's been really good for our sort of energy and our link going forward and then skipping from recording session to recording session you know in between the weeks that we record we're able to have a conversation sort of out of character and say well, I have I have uh, a thing that I, I think I want my character to do. How would we establish that? And I say, okay, well, given that this has happened, maybe we could do this. And they're like, oh, what if this happens? And it just kind of gives me a lot of bullet points to put down in my in my handbook and say I can pull from this as we go forward. Um, and so, because it's always an ongoing conversation and not necessarily one session here, one session there, one session again, you know. It's 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 an always ongoing process uh, that that I have encouraged everyone to be a part of from the beginning. And I think that's been I think that's been the easiest way to sort of build that long form story is that everyone always has a hand on the ball and everyone is always free to come to me with ideas and suggestions because we're all doing this for the first time. I just happen to be the one running the game. Right. One thing that I'm curious about real quick is thinking about running a long-term campaign like if you were doing like if you ran the campaign as a bunch of mostly unconnected uh one shots kind of the way that i guess the game is built to 
Um, have you thought about how to do kind of the TV thing of like, you know, towards the end of an episode or in the middle, like just have some weird piece of knowledge, like they find a, a book or, uh, you know, a scrap of an ancient prophecy or something like that, that, you know, after you've played a couple of sessions, then you can like bring all these bits together into, and now you're playing a session all about this, you know, almost season finale kind of feeling session. Yeah. Uh, and in our most recent recording session that we've done, I, I did just that the cliffhanger for the, the end of the recording and the, and the players going forward, they were doing some research into this monster and trying to figure out how to tackle it. And in doing so, they uncovered some knowledge about another character in the world that didn't necessarily have to do with a specific monster. They were, they were hunting at the time, but painted a picture that was like, there's something else going on. And obviously we have this main threat we got to take care of, but in the back of our minds, now we're thinking, well, what else is going on behind the scenes? Who, who can be trusted? And, and being able to drop little pieces, even I would say if, if you're, if you're trying to do this for yourself, you don't even have to be sure where it's going. You can just kind of drop a piece and say, you know, I have an idea. Maybe this character isn't all good. And you kind of sprinkle something in and if the players picked up on it, that's great. If not, well, then you give them another little smidgen of something down the line and eventually they'll start to piece it together and you can kind of come up with it, you know, as you go. Uh, so like I said, we, we started this and I didn't have an end goal in mind, but now as everyone has been involved in the story and we've played a lot more and recorded a few sessions, it's clear to me what the characters want to accomplish and in doing so, how I can tie that in with the overall story that we're telling. I need to start thinking about some of that stuff for my newest campaign. I think that's really good advice and a really good way to think about structuring a ongoing narrative. Sean, do you have any more que- any more questions about Monster of the Week, or should we wrap up? I mean, I could probably ask questions for days, but yeah, now's probably a good time to wrap up. All right. So, um, Austin, if you could, uh, if you had access to time travel and you could jump back to when you first started running Monster of the Week, what's uh, one piece of advice you would tell yourself about it? Stop putting so much pressure on yourself, because I, I went into it and i i had run I had run a D anD D campaign before. Um, I, I really liked this group of people and I really kind of wanted to prove to them and to myself that I was capable of running a good story and, and running a great campaign. And now having recorded with them for so long and, and being friends with them for so long, I, I look back and I think that's ridiculous. Like we all just did this to have fun and everyone has had a hand on this ball. You know, I, I shouldn't have gone into it thinking that I have to get this right because, because I want hundreds and thousands and millions of people to listen to this you know that's that's ridiculous and i built it up in my head like all you have to do is just start just find a good group of people and just just do it and whatever happens happens but that's the experience that you've had and and that's what's going to make it so much better i think that's really great advice for any honestly anyone who's just starting to think of dming or running games like monster of the week it's just you know Find some people that you'll you like to spend time with and do it. We can't we can't all be a Matthew Mercer. We can't all be a Griffin McElroy. What you can be is the best DM to your players, and what you can be is 
an active and willing participant in the story that you're telling. And we have kind of created our own product that now I feel very proud of and I'm, and I'm happy that we've started. And I feel like it is important to all of us that it, that it is distinctly ours. And it's something that, you know, we started because we love the adventure zone so much and, and we liked what they were doing. And now we're kind of like, that's great. And we don't have to be exactly like that because we're not, we are not the same people. We're not the same players and, and, and keepers and, you know, and that's, that's, that's okay. Like we are having fun creating our own story with our own creativity. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change that. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, it's been great getting to pick your brain about monster of the week. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. So, uh, where can, where can people find you online and where can people find your shows? So uh, I am part of the Positive Thoughts Network. That's P-O-D-S-I-T-I-V-E thoughts.com. Uh, we also have Twitter handle for all of our shows, which you can find by searching on Twitter. Uh, I am, my name is Austin Lawhorn. So naturally my Twitter handle is at Lost in Ahorn. You just kind of <laughs> take the first sounds and, and you switch them, which may make it a little harder to find me, but that's where I am. Uh, we've got Facebook pages for all of our shows. Yeah, I would say just just do a quick search, and I'm, I'm sure we won't be too hard to find. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. You have an excellent day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Later. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Moros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Hey, my name is Eric. I'm Piers. And this is Podcast vs. Podcast. You're listening to us here on the Cave Goblin Network. We take turns pitching podcasts to each other. We're trying to find a good podcast to do because we don't have any ideas. So turn off whatever show you're listening to. Turn on our show. Hi, I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to find out if you've ever asked yourself why Superman and Batman fight, or why Batman needs Robin in the first place. Get answers to these questions and more in the Everything Economics series about superheroes on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.